So we're going to be in week three this morning of our summer message series, and we're calling this series Grow, that, and that's intentional, uh, because for eight weeks throughout the summer, we're talking about some of the important aspects of our faith journey. And as we do, my prayer has been that each week, um, everybody would be encouraged in their faith, uh, but also every single week, we'd be challenged uh, as we grow in our faith to take that next step in our Christian walk. Uh, so today we're going to talk about another extremely important aspect of our faith journey. You know, when you believe in Jesus and you follow him with your life, God's word gives us an amazing truth. And that is that uh, Jesus is our friend. Now that sounds like something that maybe we would talk about in a kid's Sunday school class. Um, but that's such an important truth. It's foundational for our walk with Christ. Um, this month we're reading the book of John together as a church, and you should have a reading plan in your bulletin this morning. Uh, you can follow along, you can jump in at any time. But I chose a, a scripture this morning from John 15 that really highlights this truth. And this isn't going to be the main text today, um, but listen to these words. John 15, 13 through 15. It says this, There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves. Because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. How perfect is that for the, the worship that we had this morning in the scripture this morning? It says, now you are my friends, since I've told you everything the Father told me. You know, we grow in our friendship with Jesus. You and I grow in our friendship with, with Christ as we get to know him more um, through reading God's word through applying those truths to our lives. We talked last week how uh, we, we get to learn about God's character and his nature through his written word. We know more about who we are in Christ through God's word. And I would also say this today, that if you're a Christian, developing deep friendships with other believers, walking this, this faith walk with other believers is also extremely important. We grow in our faith and our friendship with Jesus. But you and I are called to build healthy, solid, uh, biblical relationships with the people that God has put in our lives. And as we do that, we walk with them, we, we grow with them, we develop deep friendships with them. You know, I believe this can be one of the most important and vital aspects of our faith journey, of our Christian walk. So in today's message, that's what we're going to talk about, how there's value, how there's value in walking with other believers. And as we'll see today, as individuals, we were never meant to do this life alone. We were never meant to walk the Christian life alone. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 24 and 25 today. And we also have Bibles in the back of the room, and you can uh, pull out your tablet or your phone and, and follow along there. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Listen to these words. The writer of Hebrews says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So we were in Hebrews a little bit last week. We talked about how this letter is written uh, to second-generation Jewish Christians, and it really does read like a sermon. Um, there's some challenging things to the book of Hebrews, but it, it flows much like a sermon should and would. And one purpose of the book of Hebrews is to motivate and encourage the church as we continue to grow and mature in our own faith individually and as a church body, as a church family. But this is what's amazing. It's also a reminder about how we can motivate and encourage others. 
You know, today's text is important. It's an important reminder for all Christians, regardless of where you're at in your faith journey. Maybe you're, you're a new believer today. Maybe you've been a follower of Christ for many years, or you're here and you're just kind of exploring faith. This text is so important for every person today. You know, being around other believers and seeing their faith in action helps strengthen our own faith. Being around under other Christians and seeing how they serve, how they interact with people, how they, how they live in, in the context of their marriages and their home as, as, as moms and dads, that helps strengthen our own faith. Walking the faith journey with other Christians, it helps us see the bigger picture, and it can motivate us to stay on the right path. I mean, this is what we tell our kids when they're younger, right? To choose their friends wisely. Think about who they're hanging out with. That doesn't change as we get older. As we face difficult challenges in life, and we will, the, the storms of life as we talk about, spending the right kind of time with other believers will motivate us to grow and stay strong in the faith. You know, being in fellowship or community with other Christians, walking with other Christians is an amazing privilege that God has given us. Amen? I mean, thankfully, we don't have to do this life alone. I'm, I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for that. Let's talk a little bit why, uh, this morning about why this is, is good for us. If you're taking notes, the first thing is this, that walking together provides motivation and opportunities to serve. Walking together provides motivation and opportunities to serve. In Hebrews 10, verse 24, it says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. This is premeditated motivation, all right? This isn't motivation that happens on accident. This is thinking in advance, praying in advance, how as an individual, as a child of God, as a follower of Christ, how you're going to motivate the people around you. You're going to motivate them to acts of love and good works. You know, when I think about this idea of motivation, my mind and my past takes me to junior high, all right? Junior high wrestling practice. Anybody wrestle in junior high or high school? A few of you, all right? So you know what those practices are like. They stink. They're hard. It's, it's not fun. And so I think about this, this junior high rec wrestling practice, and I'm a person, I've always needed motivation, that extra push when it comes to doing anything physical, all right? And I'm just not a good self-motivator in that area. I mean, just this week, Faith texts me on Wednesday. I'm at work, and she's like, hey, let's go run at the Y when you get off work. And I'm like, yeah, because that sounds fun, you know? I'd... <laughs> I'd rather go home and sit on the couch and watch a movie. That's what I want to do after a day's work. But she motivated me in the right way, and we went and ran, and, and we did some other things. that I, I was really sore, like, all throughout the weekend. But I remember being in these practices, and back then, you didn't really have a time limit on practice. Um, we used to wear plastics to cut weight, and, you know, those things are illegal now. But I remember being about two hours into practice and literally feeling like my life was coming to an end. All right, it, I couldn't go on anymore. I needed that extra motivation because the cardio was just so bad for someone my age and, you know, the, the amount of love that I had for working out. But I think back, there was always a really large group of students um, who liked to cut corners. You know, if the coach said do 20 push-ups, they'd do 15. They'd find a way to get around it. If the coach said, hey, I want you guys to run six laps, they would do four. We all have people like that in our life, right? People that like to cut corners. But there were always a few, a select few, that no matter what the coach said, they always wanted to at least do what he was asking or go above and beyond. And the great thing was these people loved to motivate the people around them. And one of these students, his name was Austin Ellis. 
I remember this like it was yesterday. Austin never cut corners in practice. And not only did he not cut corners, he always motivated the other kids around him. So if we were at the end of practice and it was really hard, he would motivate and encourage us to finish strong. Now, when you're in junior high, most people don't respond to that really well. Um, Austin got made fun of a lot. But what's crazy is at least he didn't show it. He really didn't allow it to affect him very much. He stayed focused on the goal. He stayed focused on motivating others around him, bringing along as many people as he could to, to do the right thing, especially when things were hard. You know, I've found in life, no matter what it is, if something's worth doing, there's usually a group involved doing it. A group is almost required to accomplish things that matter. And that's because when you and I motivate each other, when we encourage each other, we can accomplish so much more than we can on our own. You know, I remember taking a mission trip in high school um, to New Orleans. This was right after Hurricane Katrina. Now, can you imagine if the youth pastor would have stood up and said, hey, we're going to take a mission trip um, you know, in, in, in the summertime and we're going to go to New Orleans. Who wants to go? And one person raised their hand and that person was me. Can you imagine what that would have been like? I mean, all the work that had to be done, um, just the, the mental preparation, the physical work, it just wouldn't have been possible. You know, we, th- this trip, thinking back to it, it was uh, labor intensive. Our goal was to go and, and help rebuild a few homes for families who had literally lost everything in the hurricane except for their families. Everything was gone. So we'd go and we'd rebuild these homes, and then uh, we'd build relationships with these families. And we'd sit, a lot of times, in the middle of, of rubble and pray with them. Can you imagine taking on a task like that by yourself? I mean, this, the, the, the loneliness you would feel, the amount of work that, that needed to be done. Th- this trip was so much work, it wouldn't have been possible without the support, the motivation, the prayers, the encouragement of the group. We took a whole charter bus full of students, literally a full charters bus, like a Greyhound kind of thing. And we got a lot of work done. Hebrews 10.24 talks about motivating one another, intentionally encouraging one another to acts of love and good works. As you and I grow in our faith, as, as we serve Jesus more through the local church, using the gifts that he's given us, I believe that giving and receiving that motivation is crucial. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a few moments. You know, in my life, I can't even begin to count how many times someone in my family, uh, someone in the church family, uh, a a church elder, um, a staff member, my my wife, probably most important of all, has taken the time to encourage me through something that was normally kind of difficult to do. Encouraged me in my my Christian walk, encouraged me in a task that needed to be done. And I can say with 100% certainty that I wouldn't be where I'm at today without the people in my life who've taken the time to motivate and encourage me. And I'm willing to guess that as you sit here today, as we worship as the the church, as you hear God's word, you're, you're probably in a similar position. You wouldn't be where you're at today unless there were people who've gone before you and poured into your life, invested into your life, motivated you when you needed motivation, encouraged you when you needed encouragement. In the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, chapter 4, verse 9 through 12, I read this to my wife this this week, and this was the the scripture that really stood out to her in today's message. Um, This is so perfect for what we're talking about today. Listen to this. Two people are better off than one. 
for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Some of us have been there. He says, likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and they can conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. You know, church, Jesus speaks to us through his written word, but he also works through other people that he's he's placed in our life, other people to motivate us and encourage us to do the things that we would normally have a hard time doing on our own. As the church family, as, as OCC, let's just talk about this specific body of Christ for a minute. As a church family, we have the awesome privilege of growing in faith together, for being kingdom workers together, praying together, bearing burdens together, worshiping together. We have the awesome privilege of doing that together. As you and I grow in our relationship with Jesus, I believe that he, he wants all of us to motivate each other more. Can, can you make that decision today? Can you make that commitment today that, that you're going to be used by God to motivate people more? That you're going to be receptive to that. I believe that as we grow in faith as a church family, he wants us to encourage each other more. Some of you, that this comes really easy. Your, your gifting is you're just an encourager. For some of you, that's a little bit harder. Maybe Sunday mornings look like you come in and you don't really have many conversations. You, you sit down and you sing a few songs and, and you leave. And I believe that today is, is a turning point, that God wants to, to use you to be an encourager. He wants you to think about that in advance, to pray about that in advance, to be someone who encourages other people in their faith. I believe he wants us to serve together more. We have a team right now that's in the Dominican Republic. We have six people Um, All six have had roots in this church. Uh, One currently lives in another city. I'd like to see that double next year. I'd like to see us send a team of 12 to the Dominican or to Africa or wherever we go on a mission trip, that we would serve together more. Are are you starting to get the theme here? The theme is more. The theme is that we are better together. And church, whether it's serving or praying or worshiping or raising families, church, we are better together. Amen? Amen. We are better together. Jesus, he, he works through individuals to help motivate and encourage, but he also wants us to do that for others. The second point is, th- is this, that walking together can give us encouragement in times of struggle. These are those life storms that we talk about. Walking together can give us encouragement in times of struggle. If you look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, it says, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. I don't, I don't know how people go, you know, seasons without gathering with the church on Sunday morning. I just don't understand. Again, the, the, the loneliness that must be, walking through difficult seasons without the body of Christ supporting you and praying for you and being there for you. So he says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And then if you go back in the New Testament to the book of 2 Corinthians, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, this is how the Apostle Paul begins this second letter to the church at Corinth. Listen to this. He says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. 
And then listen to this, church. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we, everyone point to yourself, say me, so that I can comfort others. When they're troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. I would say that this is a ministry. This is, this is something that God has given you as an individual, that God has given us as the church, that as God comforts us through the times of struggle, through those life storms, you and I are called to then in turn comfort others. And I would say this, church, when a fellow believer, especially in the context of, of this church body, when a fellow believer is going through a challenging season or a time of struggle, they should never feel alone. They should never feel alone. God comforts us in our times of struggle, and in turn, we're called to surround others and comfort them with the same kind of comfort that we receive from God. I, I think about this football play that we just watched. The team surrounded their peer, and they moved him into the goal line. Man, without that protection, you think he would have made it? No. You think we're going to make it if we don't have that kind of protection, that kind of comfort, that kind of support from others in our lives? The answer is no. I need my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We need each other. You know, God could have chosen to encourage and comfort all people all by himself for all of time. And he does do that, but that's not all he does. He's given us that, that ministry, that, that responsibility, that privilege of comforting others as well. His plan is to work through other people to help bring the kind of encourage, uh, encouragement and comfort that, that we need. You know, an important aspect of our Christian walk and our spiritual growth is growing with other people. And part of that is giving that encouragement and receiving that encouragement during times of struggle. You know, you and I, we're called to go out of our way at times to meet the spiritual, the relational, and the physical needs of others, especially those in our own church family. You know, for many people, encouraging and comforting others isn't even the hardest part of the equation. Maybe that's easy for you. You would say, I'm an encourager, and I, I, I can do those things. Here's where it gets challenging. We're also called to receive support when we go through difficult times. We're called to receive support during times of struggle. I want to speak to the dads in the room for a minute and also the men in the room because I think that um, this is where it's difficult for us. We're fine with maybe offering a word of encouragement. We're fine helping someone, you know, get a job done around the house. But when we need help ourselves, we're usually pretty slow to receive it. We're usually pretty slow to allow others to surround us and help us go through those difficult seasons. We're not always good about letting others in. But, but men, we need each other. We need a band of brothers who are willing to walk through life together, encourage each other in our marriages, encourage each other when we're going through difficult seasons. The church is always better when this happens. Families are always better and stronger when we grow together, when we serve together, when we share our struggles together, when we help each other when we're going through difficult seasons. I fear that many Christians have stopped growing. And for many years now, because they don't see the need for authentic biblical community. They don't see the need for it. And I will tell you, you can only grow so much in your walk with Christ and in your faith. And then it's almost like a line in the sand. If you're not willing to live life with others, 
to grow together, to, to support others, to encourage others, and also let others in when you're struggling. To bring up the difficult conversations that you can't talk to anybody else about. We all need people in our life like that. If you're, if you're not willing to do that, there is only so much that, that you're going to grow in your faith. I fear that many Christians have stopped growing. Again, men, I think we're really bad at this. We like to label certain things of just as off-limit topics that we don't talk about. The truth is, in this room this morning, men, we've got a closet, many of us full of skeletons, that if we just had someone in our life who could walk with us through the difficult seasons, and we could share that with, God would just break the doors wide open. Our faith would just take off. That flame would reignite how God would use us in the local church and in our families and in our communities. It would be like nothing we had ever seen before. The church and the family are always better when we grow together, when we struggle together. I believe that if we're better in how we serve, we are better in how we struggle together. So what are some practical ways? It's good just to hear these things and, and maybe be reminded about them, but what are the practical ways that we can encourage each other, especially when we're struggling? I think the first thing is this. Realize the power of presence. Realize the power of presence. Colossians chapter 4, verse 8 says, I've sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we're doing and to encourage you. So the Apostle Paul is writing this from prison. He's struggling himself. He's writing to a struggling church. Now, he could have sent this letter of encouragement, this letter that was meant to encourage them in their faith, to remind this church that they already had everything they needed in Christ. He could have just sent this letter, had it dropped off, and that would be it. But if you read the text, and I'd encourage you to go back and do this, he actually sends two other, uh, two other men to carry this letter physically to hand deliver it to the church and to stay there with them through their time of struggle. This is amazing. You know, sometimes when we think about people going through difficult seasons, we don't know what to say. My, my mentor, his name's Paul Cunningham, he's pastored his church in Oklahoma City for over 25 years now. Um, he just has a heart for this kind of thing. And he will tell his church very frequently that it's so important that we are in the presence of those who are struggling. And if we don't know what to say, that's okay. He says, just show up and shut up. Just show up and shut up. Being in someone's presence is so important when they're going through a difficult season. And if you feel like you have to say something, just say, I love you. And I'm sorry that you're going through this. And just be there. You don't have to have a degree in homiletics and preaching. You don't have to have gone to Bible school. God wants to use you right where you're at to be in the presence and, and to struggle with those who are struggling. Just show up and be present. Another thing is that we should affirm more than correct. This is a parenting principle we talked about in our parenting series. Uh, Ephesians 4.29 says, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for others, building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I wrestle with this a lot because I, I surround myself with, with hurting people. And often it's easy to look at the bad choices that people have made, uh, the things they have done that might have led to their current situation. But, you know, I don't know that that's always the answer to bring those things up. Sometimes it is, and, and when it's done the right way, it's called accountability, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But, you know, when someone's struggling, instead of just pointing out their faults, instead of pointing out the, the bad choices they've made, just remember that our words carry a lot of weight. 
The words that you choose to say can either be the fuel that propels them forward in their struggle or holds them back. So pray about what you're going to say. Affirm more than correct. Give life-giving words. Talk about who they are in Christ. Talk about the plan and the purpose that God's given them. Their role as a mom or a dad or a college student or, or whatever it is. Be there as support. That's not our job most of the time to sit and highlight every wrong thing that they've done. It's just not. Affirm more than correct. The third thing, and again, just in practical advice is this. This doesn't have any scripture with it. This is more of my opinion, so take it as you will. But offer specific, practical help. You know, if someone you know is hurting, it's not always helpful to say, how can I help you? Because when someone's struggling, oftentimes they don't even know what words to say themselves. So if you say, how can I help you? They're often at a loss for words, a loss for answers. Instead, you can say something like this, would it help if I did this? So you give that practical advice. Would it help if I did this? Or you could say, I would like to do this for you. Is that okay? So you offer that, that practical advice, that specific advice. You know, during times of struggle, it can make all the difference in the world to feel supported and loved by your church family and by others who are in, in your life, in your circle of influence. And as a follower of Jesus, you are God's chosen method to bring comfort to those who are suffering and hurting. That's part of our mission. You are God's chosen method to help bring comfort to those who are suffering and hurting. As much as we're called to encourage and support others, our personal spiritual growth also depends largely on our ability to receive that support as well. So men in the room, let's think about this today. You know, are we open to that? Are we open to having those conversations? Do we have other men in our lives that we can build community with, that we can do life with? The third point today is this. Walking together provides accountability. I told you we were going to talk about accountability for a minute. Um, Proverbs chapter 27, uh, verse 5 and 6 says this. And hear these words, church. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend, someone who truly loves you, truly cares about you, are better than many kisses from the enemy. Man, I love that. Every single person here today has weaknesses and strengths. We all have weaknesses and strengths in our lives. And if you're someone like me, sometimes you're blind to your own weaknesses. These are the things that, that we don't do so well, right? Or, or, or the areas where we're prone to struggle and prone to sin. Again, God wants to use other Christians to help us identify and even overcome these weaknesses in our lives. Other believers can help us grow, and in the process, they can hold us accountable for making wise choices in our Christian walk. The writer of Proverbs, he's reminding us that accountability is healthy. Accountability is good. Accountability is right. I remember being held accountable early on in ministry. I had just finished serving four years as a youth minister, and I had transitioned into a role as a family pastor. So I was overseeing um, birth through college age, and then also dealing with all of their parents as well, which at sometimes was great, and, and sometimes it was a nightmare. But I had to hear some things from my senior pastor that were really hard to receive. But looking back, these things were good for me to hear. 
I would say these things were helpful for me in my own walk with Christ and even how I serve as a pastor in the church. My first year as a family pastor, I had a really short fuse. I had a really short fuse, and I, and I really struggled with conflict resolution. Right? When there was an issue in the church, I really struggled with this. I didn't bother to see the other person's side of the story, and this got, this got me in a lot of trouble a couple times. But thankfully, again, I had a senior pastor who was willing to take the time to sit down with me, and not, not chastise me for it, but sit down and walk with me through it. So what did he do? He got, a, he got some books, and he said, we're going to take a season, and we're going to go through and read these books together. We're going we're gonna to try to look back and learn from our mistakes and, and, and revisit some of these interactions that you had, and what could you have done differently? What's the correct response? He was willing to hold me accountable. He was willing to help me grow. So we spent a few seasons doing this, and it made a huge difference in my life. And I'm in no way, shape, or form perfect today when it comes to conflict resolution, but I'm confident in it. I run towards conflict now. I try to resolve conflict for the health of each other and the health of the church. And if it wouldn't have been for his willingness to walk with me through that stage of life, through that personal struggle that I had, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't. I would have been burnt out in ministry and doing something else. But people matter. And God cares how we interact with one another. So he was able to put someone in my life who recognized this struggle that I had with, with dealing with conflict, resolving conflict. And it completely changed the path that I was on. You know, when it comes to accountability, I think many people confuse accountability with judgment. And, and we're, all, we're almost done, but I want to talk about this for a minute. You know, human judgment, more or less, has to do with what we think. And then sometimes words come out of our mouth without thinking very much. So I came up with a little equation this week, and that is this, that judging equals thinking. All right? And this isn't the good kind of thinking. This is limited to thinking. Those who love to judge others are usually never seen on the front lines helping others. So if you want to check the boxes this morning and, and try to determine, am I someone who holds other people accountable or am I someone who judges other people? Well, are you on the front lines helping other people or are you just thinking and maybe talking about them behind their back? Those who love to judge others are usually never seen on the front lines. Instead, they only think about what the other person did wrong and they'll often use their words to bring them down. Accountability, on the other hand, has everything to do with action. Accountability equals action. Biblical accountability puts your thoughts and words into action to help another person grow beyond their struggle. Man, hear that, church. Accountability puts your thoughts and words into action. It helps someone else grow beyond their struggle. Judging another person just puts them down in your mind and many times with your words. Oh, my goodness, did you see what he was wearing today? Can you believe he said that? It's that kind of thing. It doesn't get anybody anywhere. Accountability walks alongside him and helps them through whatever it is they're going through. Accountability always involves being held responsible for our decisions. You know, in life, our bosses, our parents, our spouse, our teachers, those are the, the usual suspects for people who help hold us accountable, and that's good. But I would say that we also need friends in our life who can do this. We also need mentors in my life, in our lives who can do this. I think every person needs a Paul and your Timothy. Every person needs someone like that in your life. Someone that's uh, maybe further along in their spiritual journey than you are. Someone who's strong in their faith and can help you. We all need people who can help hold us accountable in our marriage, our faith, 
uh, work, relationships. And I would say this this morning as we wrap up, that if you don't have these kinds of relationships in your life, think about today who this could be for you. Maybe you don't have someone specific in your life that's officially an accountability partner for you. Let today be the the turning point for that. Write the names down of some individuals and then begin to pray that God would open up an opportunity for you to have that conversation with someone else. To make that relationship officially one that holds each other accountable in your faith, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your work. We all need that in our lives. Again, if, if we don't do this, if we don't walk with other Christians, we're only going to grow so much in our faith, and we're going to struggle alone a lot more. You know, church, we were never meant to go through life alone. God has placed specific people in your life for that reason. He created you with a deep need for relationship, a deep need for fellowship and, and community. We are meant to walk together. Walking together provides motivation in our lives. It provides opportunities to serve. Walking together can give us encouragement in times of struggle. I know I need that. And walking together provides accountability. Remember, that's not just thinking and sometimes saying things. That's getting involved. Accountability is walking with another person. It's putting that, the, those thoughts and those words into action. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but let's encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. OCC, let today be a turning point for you in how you view relationship and how you view community in the church. Let's be intentional about walking together. Let's be intentional about motivating one another towards good works. Let's be intentional about encouraging each other in times of struggle. Let's be intentional about holding each other accountable in our faith. Surround yourself with people who can do that for you. It's for God's glory and for your good. Walking together is crucial. Walking together provides growth in our lives.